is the number one commodity in the world that you can't get back once it's gone. Time. So I will keep this brief. I'm Muthita Banmuk, a time efficiency expert and a business operations strategist who is as known as the time queen. Welcome to my Get Unstuck radio. Running a business can be very overwhelming at times, especially in the first few years when you are required to wear the hats and do other things. You started your company because you had a vision that almost every business owner has when they begin. You wanted freedom, true freedom. So you are in the right place to help you build and grow your business that support your lifestyle, not the other way around. Without further ado, let's get unstuck. Hi, Get Unstuck Nation. Today's episode is the episode that I don't want you to miss. You know, Get Unstuck Nation, we always tell you to build a business that support your lifestyle, not the other way around. So today we are with the consultant queens who will also help us to acknowledge more regarding to how to build consultant agency or consulting firm better that really support your lifestyle. So please welcome Samantha Hartley here with me today, and she's a business growth consultant, especially for entrepreneurs who have consulting company, and I'm looking forward to know more from you. Thank you so much for joining Get Us Stuck Radio today, Samantha. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really enjoying listening to your shows lately. I really appreciate you. Like, uh, I'm very pleased for that. Before we get into the sneak peek, though, can you please share with us about your how did you started your entrepreneurial journey? I know that you used to be working in a corporate, right, in, with a Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. but how did you exit it? Um, well, I was in the field with the Coca-Cola company. I had a wonderful time. I was in, um, I mentioned to you that I've visited Thailand several times. I was in, first I was based in Moscow, Russia for a few years, and then they brought me to Atlanta headquarters. And out of Atlanta, I traveled all over the world and, but primarily in Asia. And I had a wonderful time with my visits, but I did not like corporate because I didn't feel like I could make an impact on the business. It was very political. It was nowadays we would call it a toxic work environment. It was so meaning it was just competitive and not fun. And I say all that because that my experience of corporate really really influenced the work that I do today. So I really got burned out and left with nothing. You know, I didn't have anything lined up. I was just like, I just have to get out of here. And so I took a year off. And then the people I had been working with, some of them had also left the company and they started calling me saying, Hey, would you maybe come and do some consulting for us? And I thought, well, why not? You know, I guess I could do that while I'm figuring out what I want to be when I grow up. And those little kind of here and there consulting things just turned into ongoing work. And I thought this is fun. I think I could actually do this. So I was consulting for, you know, pretty large international companies, but that they were working in or starting up originally. But I noticed that they wouldn't implement anything that I did. They would kind of take it and be like, oh, that's a great idea. And then like shelve it. And so when I went back to them later to check on how things were going, I would be like, what happened with work? And they'd be like, oh, well, it was, yeah, well, our priorities have changed. So we've gone on to something else. I just got really frustrated that they wouldn't implement. So I thought, who could I work with that really would have to implement, like wouldn't have a choice, like couldn't just be like, checking a box or like, you know, throwing a check at something. And I thought of smaller and smaller businesses because, you know, the small business owner, like our revenue, if we spend it on a consultant, like that's money that we could have like spent on our family, you know, paid ourselves and, you know, put to better use if, so it wasn't like optional money. So I started working with smaller and smaller businesses. And that's when I started seeing really good results from my clients because they would implement because they had to implement. And then I found that, so working with people who it really mattered was one way to get it to implement it. And then the other 
other was that I had been doing projects, which were kind of short term. And in a short term, like people, like they get a quick result, but they don't necessarily get a lasting result because they don't know how to keep doing this. So it's a priority for a little while. And then when I would leave, they wouldn't continue doing something with it. And I wanted to see that happen. So I started to work longer and longer with them. And that's how I came up with this concept of transformational engagements, where we work with clients for at least a year so that we see through the transformation that could happen. And that kind of brings us up to today. And I work with entrepreneurs, mostly consulting businesses on what I call transformational engagements, which is like year or multiple years of work with them on like big problems, big challenges that when those are solved, they make a transformation in the business. So in the case of my clients, they, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in new revenues to the business. But my clients who work with corporations mostly, and also, you know, medium-sized businesses, they see like massive change, like, you know, improved retention or, you know, better policies and also increased revenues and savings and things like that. So I hear that you adjust your offer based on what your clients need at that time. I think this is so important. When I started the consulting business though, it's so hard to figure that out. Like what is the sweet spot of like how long it would take this client? Maybe they are similar to the previously, like the similar expectation though, but they're not in the same niche, not in the same structure, not in the same organization. And I don't know how to evaluate that when I was just started. So how would you suggest to like build the offer along with the client and also profitable? Uh, yeah, well, you know, one of the things that I will talk to my clients about, they'll be like, well, I've done my profit check on this. And I'm like, you need to get a client first. First comes revenue. And then let's worry about profit. Like, let's get some revenue coming in the door. And when you've had enough revenue coming in, you learn how to make things profitable. I'm not suggesting that we sell things at a loss intentionally. I'm just suggesting like focus first on revenue and then we figure out how to make it profitable. Your question is a good one. I mean, trial and error is basically the short version of this or work with somebody who can look at the work and who doesn't have to have the trial and error. That's another thing, reason my clients come to me is they're like, well, I've been doing this and here's what I've got. And I'm like, well, I would have probably done that differently. Let me talk to you how to do that. But when I was doing it, I was like, you heard, I just got frustrated and thought I'm going to try something else. So the first few, the first time I did a transformational engagement where I said to the client, listen, we'll be done with the work within like four months, but I'm going to stay with you on call for a year. And you can just bring me in. Like I could see kind of when the wheels fell off the train and like when they needed help. And also when they were like, we're too shy. And I'd be like, I'm going to check in and just kind of go in and they, they'd be like, well, we're kind of embarrassed, but things aren't going on. I could, you know, help them put that together. So I think it's just kind of experience on the one hand, but on the other, I would say the more you do your work, the more you start to see, you know, I think a lot of times we're embarrassed to kind of get in there and dig in with the clients or we might embarrass them if we really dig in. And I think we have to have just higher intimacy relationships with our clients so that we can really see what's going on with them. And, and everybody's really honest of like, yeah, we don't know how to do that when you're gone. That's a very good point. But I also personally, experience when this is something I'm still experiencing until this day and I will tell you how I'm handling right now you may have better option for me <laughs> so when you really like building them in and have establish some honesty and really respective relationship with your clients yeah. it kind of takes you all the time <laughs> especially on the weekend like we have to say that okay this is not a business hour and we just like politely said we are doing other things to yeah. have the line you know but also on the other hand we also feel that is that why hiring us to get like on call all the time you know it's very funny but yeah this is so hard for consultants <laughs> 
Well, so you're talking about boundaries. Yeah. I mean, this is really, it's important for us to have good boundaries. And I think we can bond and we can still stay professional. And I think that's, this is a piece that really starts up front. So one of the things I have, I was just in a new client conversation the other day. And I said to her, you know, the service that she's buying, she's like, I am on call for it. But on call means, you know, you're busy and I'm busy. We all know that. So we can meet a lot, but I know that we can meet three times a week if that's what's needed, but people won't be able to implement that much. You know, we meet and then they implement. And so it's like the parameters of my being on call are business hours. And I work 10 to four, basically Monday through Friday. And I don't take client meetings on Mondays or Fridays. So there's already some, some boundaries around that. And I've told my clients, you know, if you have an emergency situation and emergency, I'm in doing in air quotes in consulting is, oh my gosh, I just got an upsetting email from a client or I'm about to uh, go into this meeting and they've just asked me to do this. And I, and can you help me with this? Emergency isn't life or death. So most of my clients, an emergency means I could text them back during work hours or like they can wait 24 hours or over the weekend for a response, because let's be honest, it's not like life or death. So clarifying what the boundaries are with your clients is really key up front. And then I think what you're saying is like, when we create these high intimacy situations, people feel like maybe a little closer to kind of encroach on boundaries. And I think we just have to be firm about that. Like these are professional boundaries and this is a trusting situation, but this is a trusting work and professional situation, which means work hours. Yeah, I totally agree. And I learned something about educate your clients these days. It's so important that like, let them heads up whether you are in or out since the day one, the day gonna join us, you know. I would love to know how you onboard your client on the very first day. I think that also like put the right foot into the perfect client building, I believe. So could you please share that? It is such a fabulous question because I think a lot of times people don't necessarily do this. Like they don't have a process for this. So I want to know in advance, I will have my clients send me, fill out some information where they're just giving me like, how big is your email list? And what have you tried before? You know, something like that, just so they have time to kind of be thoughtful and the breadth of their business. And also those are the kind of things that I'm going to want to skim, but I don't necessarily want to read that because I like to use our meeting time for things that I don't want to have, you know, plot summary. Like, don't tell me all of this kind of stuff in the meeting. Let me read about this. And then in the meeting, let's dig into like what specifically is important. And, you know, I have a group coaching program, but the way I onboard my one-on-one clients is usually with a VIP day. And so what happens during this, we'll build up to it with some meetings if we can't get to an on-site one-on-one in-person immediately. So we'll have a few meetings that are just kind of like asking about what's up right now. And like, what are the things that are on your mind? But where I want to begin with onboarding is I want to hear a big picture about your business. So the way my VIP days work is that we fly into somewhere. I love to meet in wonderful locations like New York City or um, Chicago. I live on Martha's Vineyard. So I live in a beautiful place during the summertime. We'll come here. And then we have dinner the night before, during which we don't really talk about business at all. But what's wonderful is with a new person, it's a chance for us to just kind of like get used to each other. Because even though if we've been talking on the phone for, let's say, two or three weeks, it's different than what happens in, uh, in that evening. And you kind of get used to each other. And then the next morning we go, okay, so let's talk about big picture. And one of the expressions that I'll use is zoom out. And what's kind of funny is I love to be in beautiful locations for this, but I also like to be in places that have like a high rise with a view because then you're up and you're like looking at it, a view and you kind of take that same energy to your business. It's like, okay, I'm pulling up and I'm looking out over my business. And then we spend the day with a flip chart, just talking about what's going on in their business. Now I've done this with one set of my clients, Carrie and Kim, they own an IT consulting company. We met in New Orleans, which is a favorite place of theirs. 
upstairs in this wonderful hotel. And then on the flip chart, all of the things that they want to do in their business. And they brought to me three big questions. They said, I don't know if we're going to get through these. I was like, we're totally going to get through these. We got through these three big questions about how to, about offers. And then a couple of other things, how they could price because they're in an industry where everybody prices by the hour and how could they price? And that hadn't been working for them. And within two weeks of that, they had sold a $480,000 engagement. And within a couple of weeks of that, they'd sold a bunch of $240,000 engagements. So that they were able from what we did there to double their business over that first year that we worked together. And doubling for them was adding $750,000. My other client onboarded this way. She came to me here on Martha's Vineyard. We went to the libraries here, kind of palatial. So we went to the library and used their whiteboards. And on those whiteboards, we just sketched out her business, her vision for her business over the next five years. And she's been working with me six years last summer and we're building that business. I mean, that is the business that she has built. So she does, she went from doing 150,000. She added 600,000 her first year with me. And now she does million dollar engagements. So it, it's amazing the importance to me in that onboarding process of like, let's come together and let's figure out what you want to create in your business. And then we spend the rest of the year implementing that. And because we've had that kind of high intimacy situation of this in-person time, it's easier like to reconnect to the energy of that during the hard times. Because it's not easy to add that much to your business in a year. It's, you know, you're going to hit obstacles. Like there's crying during that year, believe me. But, you know, the, the results speak for themselves. Mm, I love the reminding of hope and fear coming in one day with the emotion and the vision and then just make it happen following up. Have you ever experienced any clients who are easy to change their mind? Like one day they're so perfect. I mean, as in understand what you suggest them to you to do or encourage them to do. However, they just change their mind the day after they're not going to do it anymore or something. <laughs> like, and then keep being ups and down and they may hear the surrounding people more and they keep mm-hmm. adjust according to the art. How would yeah. you normally deal with that? I had a client who we were, we were doing as part of my work with her, I was doing the strategic coaching, but we were also doing her marketing for her. And she said, so here's the things that I want to market. And I said, okay, but this isn't like opportunity is for you. The opportunity is up for you up here in this strategic thing that we've been discussing. And she was like, okay, well, I'm still going to do this thing. So it's month one, month two, month three, we're still coming at it. And I said, what I want you to do is go out and sell these transformational engagements. Remember transformational engagements are hundred thousand dollars, or they can, I've said some of my clients are doing million dollar engagements, so they can be really big. So I was like, I really would like you to do these. And she was like, no, I actually have this little program and I really want to do this thing. And I was like, okay, so we keep, keep meeting month after month. She would do exactly what you're saying. She'd say, yes, I'm definitely going to do that. I would talk to her in a couple of weeks. She wouldn't be doing it. And so I said, okay, that's it. You're cut off. I'm not going to do any more marketing for you until you go and do a sell one of these big engagements. And then she was like, oh no. And she had a big association meeting, like a big kind of networking opportunity coming up. And she went to that and she came away and she'd sold five of them with oh. like a hundred, you know, 75 and $150,000 a piece. Like, so she just went and just kind of did it. And what was interesting for me was that the thing that she brought to me was she'd be like, no, I'm confused about what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'd be like, here's what you're supposed to be doing. And she'd leave clear and return confused. And what I learned was that confusion was her sabotage strategy, right? It took me a while to catch on to it. I'm not as slow anymore on the uptake for that one. <laughs> when somebody comes to you and they're like constantly like they leave clear and they return confused. And that is the pattern. You have to notice the pattern and it's not going to be the same for everybody. It can be overwhelmed, can be their sabotage strategy. The contrast between they leave like one minute, you can constantly get them to clarity and to action, but then they flip back into something else. That's when you realize what their sabotage strategy is. And so she taught me a lot in that. And eventually I didn't cut her off because I was trying to be mean. I cut her off because I knew that she, and I was cutting her off, but 
I knew that she had to be really challenged in that moment and held accountable to do something. And then she did it. Have you ever fired a client? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do you press that? That would be challenging. So what I told you in the beginning of my story, the reason I share the beginning of my story about being unhappy at my work and leaving is because I'll never be unhappy in my work again. If I want to be unhappy, I always say I'd go back to corporate. I just will not. I don't have one second of tolerance for being unhappy. And for service business owners and really all business owners, we have to interact with humans, right? We have to have customers or clients. In our case, you hear the way that I'm working with my clients. I'm not going to have this level of intimacy with somebody if I'm not aligned. And so I will talk about is perfect clients. We have to work only with perfect clients. It doesn't mean that they we want to go on vacation with them. This is a professional relationship. So a perfect client is exactly who they are, is what they need is exactly what you do. So you're a perfect match for one another. And so I've had clients before in the beginning when I didn't know how to discern what was a perfect client for me. I've had clients who were a terrible fit for me. I just didn't realize that at first. So I was like, they would say, I need what you do. I would say, awesome, come and let's work together. And one of the really, really early ones was I would give her advice and then she would say, no, 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 that's not how we do in my business. And I'd be like, I'm confused because like, I know how to do this in a business and what you're doing currently isn't working. So how about we try it my way? And she insisted on constantly come to me and say, help me with this, which was confusing for me. I'm sharing this example intentionally because it might help somebody. She would say, help me. I would say, well, here's the answer. And she would say, no, 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 that's not it. So my husband was familiar with the situation as an outside observer. And I said, I don't understand because she keeps pushing my help. But when I respond, she doesn't do it. And it's hard for me when people push my help button not to respond. And he said, it's possible that the best way to help her is to let her crash her plane. Like she wants to do it her way, like let her do it her way. So I finally said, she was like, help, help, help. And I finally said, no, I'm not the one to help you. And I left. And I don't think that business succeeded. And that's sometimes that's how we learn, right? <laughs> don't we learn from failure? So I'm much faster that I worked with that client for a few months, maybe six months before I learned that, but I'm much faster now. Bring somebody, if I onboard them, if we do our VIP day, if we have a wonderful time and then they start doing something that is unethical and aligned, they change their mind. Sometimes they're just like, I thought I wanted to be big and now I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it that way or whatever the conflict, you know, I let them go. Life is too short for anything but joyful clients. So let us, I'm like, have it be that we work on the problems of the business, not on the problem client. Mm wow yeah that's what they hire us for right yes if you ever have trouble firing anyone just say this hey i've thought about it butita and i think in upon reflection i don't think we're the best fit for one another and if they're like but i paid you money you can either refund their money which can hurt and listen if you refund your money and that hurts you it's a better you'll remember that lesson better in the future so the next time somebody comes up and this is a good thing to remember as well when i talk to somebody and i feel like oh this is my perfect client i think who do they remind me of and i'll think, well, let's see, who are they reminding me of? And if they remind me of some of my other perfect clients, then I feel like that's it. I had a meeting with one time with a guy and I was like, I don't know. He's reminding me of somebody. Who is he reminding me of? And then I went, oh, he's reminding me of that one guy I hated. And then I go, hey, I don't think I'm the right person to help you, but let me tell you about somebody I think would be great for you. And then you just refer them away. Yeah. Easy peasy. You may get a partnership with that. You get commission. Okay. So that's the work. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> On body, I'm talking. I'm like, who is this right? 
I always tell my assistant, yeah, she's just sitting right there, but like, yeah, so funny. Yeah. Yep. So and now you'll know in the future, don't take I them know. on. I remind you of turkeys, like don't take them on. Yeah. Samantha told me, so right now it's in my brain. Right? <laughs> so let's reflect back. So we have been talking about clients. So front end, a lot of it. I know that you have quite a handful of teams, 12 people at least. Um, from what I you do. Get. Do you believe in hiring fast and also firing fast? Uh, I do. And so what we do is, I'll tell you, there's two unique things about how I work with virtual teams. The first thing is I don't have people do multiple jobs. I have people work in their area of specialty. That's why I have 12 when most people have two or three. That's because they have a virtual assistant who's like the project manager who also does their, their CRM, who also like does their emails or calendar or something like that. I don't do that. I have a project manager. I have a video editor. I have a CRM person. I have a website person. Like they all do finite jobs. And so somebody might be getting $750 a month. Somebody else might be getting $53 and 22 cents a month. Like I just want them to work in their area of specialty. And because of that, from time to time, I will bring on people for a position. So social media, the kind of programming, you know, like person who's actually not. And again, the person who creates the content does not go put it into Hootsuite or put it upload the reel or anything like that. So if I'm hiring, for example, for that position, social media VA, I would call that. I'm going to say specifically, this isn't creation. This is just programming. This is just using tools. And I will pull from, I hire from Upwork usually. And so I'll hire three people for paid test for like a month, that's two months. I'll keep the one from best at the work, best fit for my team culture, which means they like, I interact with everybody, but they work with my project manager. So they need to be able to kind of like follow tasks, punctual. And also the person who had like the most initiative, like, Hey, I'm done. And I'm asking for more work. My perfect people on my team. Now I'm just going to disclaim. I'm not this kind of person. Perfect people on my team. They start a task when it's assigned. That's nuts to me. We assign a task. We give you three days to do it. People on my team, they finish it within, they start it immediately and finish it way before the deadline. I mean, that's amazing. I'm not that person. I've never been that kind of person. You know, we build a team around ourselves. Who's like our complement. They are, I was never the kind of person who started the homework assignment the day it was assigned. I'd be like, I'd start it either the day it was due or like <laughs> a couple of days before it was due. That's not how my team is. So that's why I have a big team in a little holiday party a month ago. And I love having this big Zoom screen of these women. Most of us are US based. There's a couple in other countries. And I love seeing us and enjoying each other. Everybody is amazing at what they do. And I do have a fired slow story. Had somebody on my team who had been one of the kind of originals who just gradually her performance just went and I hesitated. Other people would complain about her and I would say, well, let's not have her do that. And so I kind of isolated her work, but I should have fired her even before her work started to decline just because she wasn't all the things that I've just described, but I didn't. I don't really know why. I think I had a sense of loyalty to the original team or that, you know, you have somebody who has kind of like legacy knowledge, like I hate to have to replace that, or I just wasn't getting to it. All of those terrible reasons. I'm going to tell myself that I kept her on just so that I would have the story that I could have empathy for my clients who have done this. In the end, I did fire. And here's the wonderful kicker about it. She had a bunch of hours because she was somebody who never got her work done on time. And guess what? She also hadn't gotten done on time billing of her work. So I'm not somebody who will say, well, too bad, so sad. We're not going to pay you for that. I didn't pay her quickly. I said, all right, well, that's a big number and I'm going to pay you out over the next four months. And I paid it with a frown on my face. And what I always say to my team members, I mean, to my clients is when you're hiring team members, the energy with which you pay them is information. And so when I would pay my team members, I'm like, pay somebody. Sometimes it's a big bill and I'm sending a Venmo for a lot of money. And I think it's the best money I spent. Do you know how happy I am that I didn't do that work? I'm delighted. Or my project manager, oh, I would 
couldn't do half of the revenue streams in my business if I didn't have this project manager. I would just cancel them. So you should feel delighted. One of the things that I have a profile of perfect clients and one of the things I say in it is they pay me joyfully on time. I pay my team joyfully and on time. And if you're paying somebody and you don't feel joyful about it or you for some reason are like, well, like, hey, that kind of late, that's information. Amazing. And I agree with you. Everything. I have eight myself and I do exactly what you say. I learned from my mistake. But here's the thing. When we just started, at least for me personally, I don't have that much budget to like separate yeah. them like this. So it's depend on the workload during the time okay. as well, right? So there are many factors that involve how to organize. But what I also learned is flexible to expand or reduce anytime. Yes, which is true if you have contractors, but not employees. How did you decide who to bring on as a full-time employee as opposed to have as a contractor? Depends on the workload. Like if I really need that person and I already give benefit, even though they are contractors. <laughs> so it's yeah. not that different. It's just like how they're going to bow and the condition about firing them. Just that. So <laughs> that's the only reason I have. Yeah, the rest then yeah. pretty much get the same thing. Mm -hmm. That's I'm interesting. Very yeah. One of the things that happens in the US because taking on an employee is a big deal and I will have clients who are women consultants who are like one person business. They may have like a virtual assistant or something like that, but they'll hire an employee and then they have this burden mm -hmm. of like, oh my gosh, I have to be able to make payroll for that person. And I had some clients, they were small consultancy. There were three of them and they had an employee who was full time and they, his payroll was always made. But sometimes I know they weren't taking their payroll or they weren't taking owner's draw. And to me, they had hired too early and you shouldn't hire full time. If you have any risk. So I really discourage my clients from hiring full time. If they're in that situation, you need to be so secure. You need to have paid yourself a salary out of the business consistently for a long time. You need to have enough cushion that you can really afford that employee. And one of the things, Matita, that I think is interesting is that women will tend to hire full time because they want that person to feel taken care of. I'm like, no, no, you need to be taken care of. You need to take care of yourself. It's okay for other people to be contractors. As you're saying, it's going to be harder to fire somebody when they're a, a full-time employee. It's going to be more devastating to them. So I like for my clients to hold on to contractors for as long as possible and really only hire a full-time employee when they feel a sense of security about like being able to afford that person and that that person, and I'm sure you teach this as well, and that person is going to like way out earn the revenue generated from that employee is going to be like really, really magnified. 100%. This is how I think. I also think that like my expenses, like the fixed expenses shouldn't be over like 25% of like- Good for you. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> if I could keep that though, I'm happy, you know? Yeah. The rest would be reinvest. There will be more on top of the outsource and unexpected expenses, more training, etc. So my bottom line over there. So I wish, I wish we could do that here. I think a lot of them here are more like 35%. Yeah, most of them here are Thai. So uh -huh. the challenge from my side though, I need to find someone who can speak English. That would be the key. Yeah. So there you go. yeah, this is something that I learned new. So I just very honest with you, but this is so much fun. I have cleared the whole team and rehired some of them or finding a new person coming in and finding new job, like first jobber even. I find that having first jobber and teach them from start, yes. actually great because they are like yes. trying to learn. But these day kids though, they don't have mm -hmm. the patience like my time or like yeah. who like before me. So yeah. this is the challenge. Like the talent acquisition is the real pain. Like <laughs> <laughs> that's because people are hard. 
<laughs> people are hard, whether they're clients or whether they're team members, like you're working with a human and a human is like multifaceted and multidimensional. Yeah, people are hard. I agree with you. I think, you know, it's part of going back to our my contractor I had trouble firing story. My hope was, it wasn't that I didn't want to be wrong. It was that so many other people from that generation that I had hired, and I mean that generation, meaning that I had hired then, like my team members have been with me for, I mean, the longest one has been over 10 years and, you know, time flies. Another one has been like, gosh, that one too, eight years. Like they've been with me a really long time. And so what I love is that kind of like institutional knowledge when it's working for you and when it's going well. But I also, you know, I hear you on the, like, just fire everybody and start over. Cause sometimes, sometimes there are, as I told you with this, bringing in someone new to, and just testing VAs, I just do that from time to time, just to kind of see what's out there. Like, is my person here the very best person that I have? We haven't done this quite yet, but I can see that there are some people who might age out in terms of their rate might end up being too high for me to sustainably hold on to them. So I'm like, I'd love to hang on to you, but we're going to tap out at $50 an hour, for example, for someone or 35 for someone else, depending on what those jobs are. So I'll be able to do this and this many hours. I'm not going to be able to go above that. And if people need to leave, like I understand, I don't want to keep anybody, prevent them from something that they can do. But as you're saying, like we have to look at profitability. And so I won't be able to hang on to everybody and, you know, we'll see what happens. This is something really important that I see. I also noticed what you say. You mentioned earlier about if you don't feel joined at any moment working with a client, you know that it's a red flag. Same as the team members. This totally. is something that I also always speak with them. Are you still happy working with us or <laughs> you're not happy anymore? Because I'm not going to pull them here. Like To be yeah. very fair, I think life is too short. It's for real. Like We can discuss what is your next option would be and how can you help us find a new person in case we need you or we yeah. need the skill. Yeah, I think it's fairness in the industry that not many people really speak to your team like this that much because mm-hmm. they tend to work like a boss and like subordinate somehow and yeah. I don't really like that because I, I prefer to use OKR rather than KPI to be fair mm-hmm. 100% and yeah. they have to be accountable for me and ask me to them like that's how I work yeah I do the same thing one of the principles that I talk about with clients and this is for all consultants we should work in what I call our joy and genius zone so mm-hmm. your genius zone is like what you're great at but and people talk about that all the time to me your joy zone is work that you do that gives you energy so I always use the example of writing I don't write for my clients I write for myself why well I'm a really strong writer but it's expensive for me energetically and so mm-hmm. it doesn't give me energy when I write for myself I would say it's kind of like it can give me energy if I write for clients it can be either like neutral or not like draining and so I have somebody on my team who's amazing write for our clients it's a joy zone but in some situations what's not a joy zone CRM <laughs> you know programming project management like all those things that I hire people to do are not so when I have someone doing a task I will always check with them is this a joy zone for you or do you not want to do this so if anybody ever comes to me and says well like either that client or that task isn't like I can do a little bit of that but I don't want to really be doing that I always ask when I'm hiring and as they're doing it if I ever hear and they know they're allowed to say so if I ever hear anything like oh I would really not like to do that so for example we recently had something that we gave to my team member who does all things software so she does the CRM and we gave her another thing that was related to that but someone else had been doing and then we took it away and gave it to someone else and she told the project manager not me she told the project manager that she was sorry we'd taken that away because she really enjoyed doing that I said oh take it right back to her because she has way seniority over this new person I don't want to give anything to the new person that she does because even though her hourly rate is a little bit more she's super fast and so I would rather have her doing it in her block of hours that she's working for me and that's to me is key I want everybody again to me the company culture is aligned with what I want my clients culture to be like we should work in our joy and genius zone I pay people joyfully and on time 
time. To me, it's like a 360 degree ecosystem. I don't want there to be any places where it's like, I don't pay my people or I, I let people do work they hate. It just wouldn't be congruent. 100%. I'm with you all the way. I don't have time to like figure things out like that anymore. Like it's too much. I already over it. So this is so much fun. Like I believe that anyone who's still here should have a lot of light bulb on your head because I do. So comment <laughs> down below if you have one. So Samantha, in case anyone want to follow your work, learn more about your knowledge, where can they find you though? I'm everywhere. <laughs> I have a podcast too. I have a podcast called Profitable Joyful Consulting, which is what I love talking about being profitable and joyful as you've heard and consulting. But a good place is I have a free gift that talks about how my clients get six figure engagements. So it's called six figure clients with the numeral six at the start. So sixfigureclients.com and everyone can track me down on LinkedIn and places like that. And I would love to connect with anyone who's listening because I love these topics. I love taking care of our people. I love helping. I love that my business employs people, whether part-time or full-time, you know, I love that we're able to help other people like find meaning and joy in their work. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story and knowledge today to Get Unstuck Radio. And yeah, we are so honored to have you today. It's been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you, Motita. I hope this episode inspired you to get unstuck wherever you are in your journey so that you can have your business that support your lifestyle. Get a show note at helpyougetunstuck.com today. Start implementing what you have learned. The results of your consistent effort and improvement are worth it because you deserve the freedom to enjoy your life. Speak to you next time and don't forget to get unstuck.